0: Our scripture this morning is found in Psalm 23, a very familiar verse, of, uh, passage of scripture. If you would, let's honor the word, reading of the word of God, if you would stand for just a moment while we do so. Beginning in verse number 1, David says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I pray that you'll bless the time we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. What a familiar confident set of scriptures. I can remember uh, the first time that I went to a funeral and I heard somebody read the Lord's, uh, uh, read uh, the 23rd Psalm in a version other than King James. Now, I'd been out of church for a long time. I didn't know that there was another version other than King James that I grew up with. I remember learning in the second grade, Ms. Vera Stewart taught us the the 23rd Psalm, and we learned to read it together, and we memorized it, and we would say it. And I remember hearing a pastor say, we're going to read the 23rd Psalm, and he read something from Scripture, and I was like, whoa, wait a minute, that's not the 23rd Psalm. What is he talking about? Well, I'd been out of church so long, I didn't realize there were, there were new versions of the Bible. That's how long I stayed out of church, so... um but it was, it was foreign to me to hear it that way, but the way that the writers write it here makes perfect sense to us. We're finishing a four-week sermon series on revival, and here's the conclusion that I've come to as we've talked about this subject. Revival for an individual or a church is when we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and knowing through our thoughts and actions that Jesus Christ is first and nothing else can satisfy us as much as jesus that's when we know as an individual that's when we know as a body of believers that's when we know as a community that's when we know that we're in revival it's when that state comes to us and we're ending the the series here with this familiar passage of the 23rd psalm and all throughout the scriptures the old testament and the new testament jesus would continue this on, there is the imagery of the shepherd and the sheep. It was what was most common to the people in Palestine who were being written to and who were being ministered to through the different scriptures. It was what they saw every day. It was what they knew every day when they went about their lives. Even if you didn't own sheep and even if you weren't a shepherd, you were so familiar with what was happening in the process that you knew what the writer or what the speaker was talking about when he used that imagery. King David uses that here. He has first-hand account of being a physical shepherd, of being there in the field with the flock and herding and taking care of his father's sheep. Jesus had first-hand account of being our spiritual shepherd, and he would talk about that so often And we'll talk about some of what Jesus said this morning also. But there are some highlights here. If I were to try to take on this whole 23rd Psalm, we'd be here till tomorrow. And I promise we won't do that. But there are some highlights here that I want to hit about this. And I want to walk us up through the point of being in revival with the Lord through these scriptures. The first part is, there is a great rest. When we are walking with the Lord, there's a great rest when we're walking with the Lord. You ever been just tired, T-A-R-D? I'm. You ever been just so tired, you 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 tired down to the bone? I'm telling you, you just couldn't you just couldn't wait to lie down. If you've never been a chaperone on an eighth grade field trip to Washington D.C., then you don't know what the tired that I'm talking about. Brandy you've been you've done that one. You need to volunteer sometime. I can remember that the, the eighth grade field trip begins at the Methodist Church parking lot at 4.30 in the morning. You leave at about 4.30. And I remember very clearly telling Eddie Martin, Eddie's daughter Kenzie was going, my son Grayson was going, and I said, Eddie, don't wait around now. Don't be late. Get there early. I'm going to be there at 4 o'clock. I'm going to get me a seat. Don't be late. Well, at 4.30, I'm calling Eddie, where are you? I'm on my way, man. I'll be there in just a second. Well, about 4.35, Eddie comes in, and Eddie can't find a seat, so Eddie has to sit next to me. Now, understand, I have pneumonia. I already know I have pneumonia, and Eddie sits down next to me, and Eddie and I, neither one of us are small, and so we're hanging off the seat. And what I said, I, I, I stressed to him, I said, the reason I told you not to be late is because of how we got to sit here. And for, so for the next eight hours, that's how we sat. Me trying to breathe and him trying to hold on to the seat. And when, you're, when your bus stops on this eighth grade field trip, and Dr. Clemens, Chris, I'm sorry if I'm, I'm uh, talking people out of going on this trip. But when your bus stops, you don't stop. When your feet hit the ground at that first place, you hit the ground and you're going. You're moving, and you don't stop until about 11 o'clock that night when you pull up at this Holiday Inn Express or wherever you are, and you are so tired that all you you just can't wait to go to bed. And then you remember, I'm not the only one in that room. But I have three eighth-grade boys in the room with me. Well, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Jesus put a tempurpedic bed in my room. I know it was him. I know it wasn't the holiday inn. I know Jesus did it. And I laid down on that tempur bed, and it's one of those sleep number settings. Some of y'all are wealthy enough, you know what I'm talking about. And you set that setting, and all of a sudden the bed starts moving, and it adjusts to your body. And I got that to right to 55. That was my number. And the next thing I knew, it was Daytime. I jumped out of that bed, and I told those boys, let's hit it. Let's go, let's go, let's get it. It was the best night of rest I've ever had in my life. And so I thought, boy, I'm going to get me one of those Tempur-Pedic beds. And then I got home, and I looked them up online, and I thought, well, i get that second job, maybe. But that's that, that beautiful rest that you get sometimes when you're just that tired, and you feel like you can't go on. That's the kind of rest that it is when you're walking with the Lord. That's the kind of comfort that you have when you're walking with the Lord. David says this about walking with the Lord. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He specifically says green pastures. Because in Palestine, there's a lot of dirt, barren land. There's a lot of places that are just they, they're just no grass, nothing growing. And it looks awful. And then there's these places of these great plush pastures. And David says, my Lord doesn't take me out and lay me down in the dirt. My Lord is so good to me that he takes me and he makes me lie down in green pastures. There's something about a sheep. If a sheep is afraid, if a sheep has the least bit of fear, a sheep won't go to sleep. A sheep will stand all night long without going to sleep if it has the least bit of fear that there's a dog or a coyote or a wolf or a bear somewhere around. If that that sheep feels like that there's any danger that's out there, that sheep will stand all night long because it's defenseless. It has no way of defending itself, and it stays in a posture so that immediately it can run if anything comes its way. And so it will stay that way until it sees something. Until maybe there in the, in the moonlight or there in the firelight, it sees the silhouette of that, of that shepherd. And when it, it, it begins to look and it begins to focus its eyes on that shepherd, and it maybe begins to hear the voice of that shepherd speaking, and all of a sudden, all of that worry and all of that anxiety and all that fear and all those things that that sheep has going on that's keeping it from resting and keeping it from sleeping, it all fades away. It all goes away. Because that sheep knows without a doubt that it is protected by the hand of its shepherd and there's nothing that it has to fear and it goes right to sleep. Listen, what quiets and reassures us in our lives as Christians is the abiding fact it's the presence of knowing in a Christian's life. There is no substitute for the keen awareness that our shepherd is nearby. Listen, there's nothing in my life like the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I have fear, when I have panic, when I have terror of the unknown, when there's that uncertainty of life, I know that Jesus is close by. I know that He's my shepherd, I know that He's my Savior. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that he's in control. Do you ever have those moments in life where you're waiting to hear something? Have you ever been to the doctor and the doctor said to you, well, we've, done, we've taken some tests, we've done some tests, and we're waiting on the results, and we'll call you in a few days and let you know what those are, but they don't specify what exactly a few days are? And you're there on about that fourth or fifth day and you're wondering, and and how does our mind go? The longer that it goes, the more serious we think the prognosis is. And so we're sitting there and we're waiting and we're worrying and we're we're, we're just tempted to be in such fear. Those waiting moments, we're waiting to hear. Maybe you are, are interviewed for a job and they tell you we'll get back to you. And you go and you sit and you keep your cell phone and you're waiting for that text message or you're waiting for that phone call and it just seems like forever and ever and ever. Those are those anxious moments. Those are those worrisome moments. Tammy is here this morning and, and, and uh, I don't want to embarrass her, but she put this beautiful post on Facebook last night about her dad. Her dad, Bobby Kirk, is one of my preaching heroes. In the last... Uh, year or so or a little bit over a year he's coded almost 20 times he's been back and forth to more doctors more emergency rooms more more uh, uh, going back and forth to UAB and there was a time one time when he had coded and he they were waiting to get him uh, transferred and the doctor the, the surgeon or the doctor said to him Mr. Kirk you seem to be so at ease you seem to not be worried about anything, what is it about you that is allowing you to do this? And he said one simple word, hope. Hope. You know where his hope is in? His hope is in Jesus. His hope is in knowing that he's been walking for the last several decades with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he knows that going into surgery or coming out of surgery, either way, Jesus is his, and he's Jesus, and everything's going to be all right. And that's where we live when Jesus is our shepherd, when Jesus is our Lord. We know that that is what our situation is. And we can either live in a sense of anxiety and fear or we can live in a sense of quiet rest. We have to determine which one we're going to do. And our relationship with the Lord determines that for us. The older I get, the more I become aware of the presence of Jesus in my life. The more I become aware of my need for him the one that I used to run from, the one that I used to want to hide from, the one that I used to couldn't wait to get out of church service so I wouldn't have to hear any more about him, is now the one that I run to in every situation in my life. And here's why. Because I know no matter what is told to me or no matter what is said to me or no matter what the diagnosis or no matter what, it's this, is it. Jesus has everything under control. And when things fear, appear hopeless, Jesus is my hope the Holy Spirit is reassuring me that Jesus Christ himself Jesus Christ himself is aware of my problem and not only is he aware of my problem but he is deeply involved in my problem the Holy Spirit reassures me that Jesus Christ through scriptures uh, lets me know that Jesus himself is making intercessory prayer on my behalf that's comforting right there to know. So in those times when, I'm, when there's fear, when those times when there's worry, I know that Jesus is in control. Look at what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and 7. He said, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, a disciplined mind that knows that Jesus, that we've been walking with him and we know his past, we know what he's done, and we know he has the future. Look at that word, that phrase, sound mind. Sound mind is a mind that is at ease, a mind that is at peace, a mind that is without fear of the future. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 11, he said, come to me, all you that have labor and are carrying a great burden, and I will give you rest. If you are living today and you can't find rest, then you can know this morning, That if you will walk with the Lord, you can find a rest that will put your mind at ease and give you peace of mind, and you don't have to worry. We have rest in the Lord, and we have restoration when we walk with the Lord. David said, he restores my soul. You ever had your heart broke? You ever had your heart broke? People say some some really some things that just don't make sense when you've had your heart broke. Don't they? It'll be all right. You ever had a you you've had that girlfriend or that boyfriend that you just thought, I mean, that that, that was the end all be all, and there was nobody else in the world, and then all of a sudden they found somebody else and, and, and somebody say to you, Well, I don't worry about it, boy, there's other fish in the sea. Well, I only that guppy. Now, these same, these same people that tell you that are the same people that, that before you was with that person were saying, well, you need to be selective. You need to be, uh, you, you know, be, be, be careful about who you date or what. And then they're telling you, well, there's a whole lot of fish in the sea. Go find you one. Same people. We say things sometimes that don't make sense. We say things sometimes trying to help somebody get through something that, that at the time they're thinking, well, that, that just makes no sense to me. Best thing, I've I found the best thing to say to anybody in any situation. I'm praying for you. It's going to be all right. I'm praying for you. It's the good, solid Baptist answer. But here's what this means He restores my soul. It says to me this there's going to be times in my walk with the Lord where my heart's going to be broken, where my spirit's going to be broken, where my life may be in shambles, and where situations are going to be out of my control and out of my hand. But guess what? Jesus is going to restore my soul. Jesus is going to take care of me if if I'm walking with him. David, King David wrote these words. King David was so loved by God that the scriptures say that he was a man after God's own heart. David knew what it was to be cast down and dejected. David had been defeated. David had fallen into temptation. David knew the bitterness of feeling hopeless and without strength in himself. Flip over just a few pages to Psalm 42 and look at verse number 11. David says this about his situation. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Here's David, the greatest king in the history of Israel. And he says, My soul is cast down. My soul is cast down. David is using a shepherd term here. There's a shepherd term called cast down. And it talks about a sheep that has turned over on its back and it can't get up by itself. It's in a place where it's vulnerable, it's close to death, it's helpless. That's how David, this mighty warrior. David was called a mighty man of valor. A mighty man of war, David. They used to say, They used to go about in the streets with tambourines and and dance and say, King Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. David was a man among men. He was a man's man, and David is saying, I'm in a situation here. Lord, my soul is cast down. I feel like I am going. Like I, my soul is going to die. Many of us have been there ourselves. And in those moments, the shepherd becomes extremely important. When that sheep gets out in the field and it turns over on its back and it can't let the shepherd know, that shepherd's eyes are looking and it runs to rescue that sheep before it reaches the point of death. There's a beautiful similarity here between Psalm 23 and the parable of the lost sheep that Jesus tells. Jesus talks about the shepherd who left the 99 to go and find the one. He expresses through the story the longing of the shepherd to go and find the one that was missing. And in the great care that the shepherd took to make sure that he got that sheep back to the fold, and then after he got the sheep back to the fold, there was a great celebration that he uh, he was a part of. Jesus wants you to know this morning that you were the missing one. You at one point were missing. You at one point were vulnerable. You at one point were living in a life of sin and far away from the Savior. And Jesus went and found you and rescued you. And there's so such a great similarity there between the two. Now we have a nature to wander. The great old hymn that I love so much says about us that we are prone to wander. It's in our nature to wander away from the safety and care of God sometimes. Isaiah said it like this when he said, all we like sheep have gone astray. I used this a a few Sunday nights ago. If you read Psalm 119, the longest chapter in all the Bible, and there are so many great, sections of scripture there that we memorize as children so many great sections of scripture there that tell us how great our relationship is with God and so many things there that exalt God and in and, and our relationship with him and then in the very last verse of, cha, of chapter 119 David says Lord come find me because I've gone off wandering all of us at some point or another, are prone to wonder. When it's, here's a wonderful thing to think about. When a child of God falls, when they're frustrated and helpless and in a spiritual dilemma, God doesn't automatically become disgusted, fed up, and furious with us. Wonderfully, the Scriptures tell us in the Psalms that God is slow to anger, and so the heart of God has concern and compassion for us When we get into this situation, when we wander and when we're away from Him, God has the same concern and compassion that the shepherd has for his sheep. Now, if you don't think that you can fall, if you don't think that you can wander, read the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. He says, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Keep a humility about you. Keep a humbleness about you so that you realize that if you stray from God, you're prone to fall. God will restore us. And there's a refuge when we walk with God. In verse number 4, David says these words that we, we hear so many times at a funeral when he said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Now, somewhere in the middle of the summer in Palestine, as David is writing about here, that shepherd would go to the sheepfold and he would take all the sheep out and they would begin a long journey from down in the valley up to the top of the mountain where the green grass was going to be, what they call the tableland. And there had been great snow up there on top of the mountain. And now the snow is beginning to melt and the sun is beginning to shine. And it's just bringing that lush green grass out. And so the shepherd is going to begin, he's going to take those sheep out of that fold. And he's going to begin a long, long journey up to the top of that mountain. And the whole time it's just the shepherd and the sheep. And that shepherd is going out ahead of those sheep. He's out in front of them walking. And he's going to go through a lot of places where there's going to be the possibility of an attack from a predator. Or there may be rock slides and avalanches. There may be flooded rivers. And that, that shepherd is out ahead of those sheep in every situation checking to make sure that the sheep are going to be okay. Now, when we become a Christian, God didn't automatically, when I got saved, he didn't automatically just take me at that moment and take me straight on to heaven. Now, it would have been a lot easier life for David as a shepherd if he, if he had an easy journey to get up to the mountaintop. But what do we know from David's own words? As he's traveling up that mountaintop, he tells King Saul when he when Saul questions him about his ability to go fight Goliath, David says to Saul, well, that that, that guy ain't nothing to me. He said, I've killed a bear and a lion with with my own hands. See, that long, hard journey up the mountain had given David the opportunity and the ability to be in some battles and to be in some fights that would someday put him in a place to where God could exalt him to where he wanted him to be. So as a Christian, as you're going through things, and you're going through hard times, you're going through tough times, you may be going through struggles, understand that God is growing you and he wants you to go through what we call a process of sanctification, the doctrine of sanctification, where he is growing you and maturing you to become more and more like who? Like Jesus. The Christian life can be a hard road It's not always easy to get to the higher ground. But we only get to the higher ground by climbing up through those valleys. Jesus said this about our walking with him. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I know the voice of Jesus. There are a lot of competing voices in this world. There are a lot of other voices in this world that want to get my attention. There are a lot of other voices in religion. There are a lot of other voices in culture. There are a lot of other voices all screaming and trying to pull our attention and get us to listen to them. But in the midst of all those voices, there's the voice of Jesus that rings out to our soul when we're in a relationship with him. You could put my children in a room with a hundred other kids, and all those kids could be talking as loud as they could be, if one of my children were to cough, I could pull, I could hear that cough, and I would know it was my child out of a 100 children that were all talking. Any of you else have that, that instinct? Listen, sometimes Jesus speaks in what? A still, small voice. You know what? I still hear him. I still hear that still, small voice of Jesus because I've been walking with him so long. I recognize it, and I understand it. I can remember when I was a youth minister, when we first started in youth ministry. Nobody had a cell phone. No, no, no. Bree was the first trip we ever went on. Bree was the only person on the trip who had a cell phone. Not one student had a cell phone. It was a wonderful world. I promise you, it was. But we would go on, we would go on youth trips, and we would go all over the place. Been, we went everywhere. And here's what we, you had to know how to get there. A lot of the places that we knew went, we'd never been before. Nobody had ever been with a group before. And so what we had to rely on were road maps that you had to, you remember those, you had to unfold a road map and it took up the whole windshield. Or you had to rely on somebody's handwritten notes of instruction. And so I can't tell you how many times Dennis Ragsdale have, and I have left this parking lot out here and we've been going And we're good as long as we're on the interstate. But once we get off that interstate, I can promise you we never went anywhere. And Dennis is my witness. We never went anywhere where we didn't get lost. Never. And we would spend about an hour trying to get back to get right and get where we were going. And it was frustrating. Think about our lives now. We went on a trip this weekend. Several of the men and I went to Woodstock, Georgia. I just picked up my phone, and and I typed in First Baptist Church, Woodstock, Georgia, and up pops all these maps and these directions, and it gives me routes and alternative routes. I've got Google Maps. I've got Waze. I've got all these different opportunities. And so I just put it in there. I sit there in the passenger seat. I tell John, take a left here, John, and we go. And he trusts me because I've I've got that GPS right there. Well, times have changed. But guess what? It was like that for me as a lost person. As a lost person, before I knew Jesus, it was like I had this great big old map that you had to unfold, and and I was trying to make my own way, and I was trying to find my own way with that big old map, and I was trying to figure out where I was going, and everywhere I went and every turn I made, what had happened? I got lost. And I'd try to make another turn, And I'd get further and further lost. That's how my life was without Jesus. But now I'm plugged into Christ. And it's like I've got this great GPS system. God's positioning system is what I like to call it. And and I hear and I know and I know that I'm going the right way because I'm connected. I'm headed in the right direction. And if I stray, the Holy Spirit can reroute and redirect me And I don't have to worry. There's a refuge in walking with the Lord. And finally, there's a great revival when we walk with the Lord. Look down here toward the end. It says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we walk with the Lord, there's no lack. We can have rest. We can be restored. We can have refuge. We should live in a revival. Goodness and mercy. Where are you, wherever you are in life, no matter what age you are. You're, you've thought about the future and what you want for the future. You've thought about how you want your life to be, or maybe you're at an age where you're thinking about how you want to leave your children and grandchildren, and how you want their lives to be. But you no, know, at some point, we all have these thoughts about the future the lord promises us something wonderful here he promises us that goodness and mercy are going to follow me how long all the days of my life what else could you want what else could you want outside the goodness and mercy of the lord The goodness of of God, the kindness of God of walking with you and being your provider and taking care of you. The mercy of God being merciful to you and giving you the days of your life and giving you the salvation that you have. As we walk with the Lord, uh, goodness and mercy follow us and we are blessed in that. Now, sometimes as those sheep are making that long climb up that mountain, they get tired of climbing the mountain, and they want to go back. They want to go in the opposite direction. They get to thinking about life laying around in that, in that sheepfold and not having to walk and, and all those things, and they start turning around, and they start trying to go back. Well, guess what the shepherd has? Every good shepherd has a couple of dogs that are following those, those sheep. I like to call those two dogs, if you would, this morning, I'd like to say that that shepherd had two dogs, and one of them was named Goodness and another one was named Mercy. And every time those sheep turn around and every time they want to head back down the hill and every time they want to go back down to where they were, there's goodness and mercy reminding them, get back straight, stay with the, stay with the shepherd, stay where it's safe, and don't go back and get in trouble. I'm so glad I got goodness and mercy following me some days. I'm so glad that they're, they're, they're nipping at my heels someday reminding me. You see, there's a lot of days... That as a Christian, you may think about going back to your old life before you were a Christian. Maybe you're on Facebook and you see all these people, and their lives look so swell, and they look so wonderful, and, they, and it looks like everything is just great and grand for them. And they're out all weekend, and they're just living it up, and having the best time, and, and party, party, party. And, and the devil whispers in your ear and says, "Oh, that could you you could you could live that same life. You wouldn't have to worry about church. You wouldn't have to worry about getting up on Sunday morning. You wouldn't have to worry about all those things." You, Let's go back to living how you used to live. Look look at there, Michael. They're having a great time. They're doing this, that, and they're getting to go here and that, and all those things you used to do and, and, and all the things that you used to live for. Why why don't you go back to that? You wouldn't have to get up early on Sunday morning and 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 be there and and do and you those. Know, you wouldn't have people complaining to you about it's too hot or it's too cold, or you wouldn't have people complaining that the about the music or about the sermon being too long. You could just you could lay up on Sunday morning. Doesn't it sound appealing sometimes? No, it doesn't. Because I know what that life was like, and I know where that life leads, and I know the sorrows and heartache and misery of that life, and I know that if uh, I don't want to go back and live that life ever again. And I remember that goodness and mercy are what is following me. And, and, and I think that maybe sometimes, maybe goodness and mercy are what Paul was describing in Philippians 3.14 when he said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. Paul said, I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on pressing on because I want to win the prize. I want to finish the race. And I don't want to to do anything to disqualify myself from the goodness and mercy that is following me. And it it should put our lives in revival when we know that we are... Everywhere we go, we go with goodness and mercy. Every walk and every step of this life, we go with goodness and mercy. And here's what's even more wonderful about it. David ends this way when he says, After all the days of my life, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to ask you something. If you're living in this life and you've got goodness and mercy following you every day of your life and you're promised after after having all of that that God has given you with goodness and mercy and at the end of that if you know that you have a home in heaven that is waiting for you and you're going to be there forever why in the world are we not all living in a place of revival? Why in the world would we be sad-faced and dejected Christians walking around looking at our shoes going, woe is me, when we ought to be saying great is he? Let's don't live that way. Let's don't live that way. Let's don't come to church with an attitude of, well, got to go to church. How many, how many times have you ever said the phrase, I've got to go to church? i got to go to church. You get to go to church. And you ought to get here with an attitude that I get to come to church this morning. I get to be among God's people. I get to sing and praise and worship. I get to, uh, if I have needs, I get to tell other people my needs and know they're going to pray about them. I get to be in a place where I am around other people who have like opinions and views of life that I have. Maybe at work all through the week, I'm surrounded by people who are different and who don't care about the things of God, but I'm coming to church and I get to be among those people. And I don't care if we sing hymns and I don't care if we sing contemporary or I don't care. I'm just going to sing because God gave me air in my lungs and breath in my lungs and I'm going to sing praises to him. And I'm not going to worry, we may, we, we may uh, have a 15-minute sermon this week, or we may have a 35-minute sermon next week, but I'm going to clue in, and I'm going to hear God's word, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to let it change my life. And I'm going to come, and every week when I come, I'm going to come with a sense of anticipation, and I'm going to pray on my way, Lord, let something be done to glorify you today in such a way That someone has a longing and a desire to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ before they leave. That's how living in a revival in your life will be. That's how living in that state of revival would be. When we surrender and submit ourselves that way and when we have that attitude, I can promise you those little sins and those little things that we do that we think aren't bothering anybody or hindering anybody or keeping anybody... God will magnify those things in our lives so greatly and we will be so overwhelmed with godly repentance and sorrow that we can't live that way anymore. That's how we ought to be living. And that's as I conclude this this week, that's how I want to challenge you to live. I want to challenge you every day to, to know that goodness and mercy are following you, that you are blessed by the Lord, and at, at, when at the end of this life, when, they, when, when you take your last breath, goodness and mercy are going to follow you on to your dwelling place in heaven forever. You're going to exist there with the Lord forever. That's, that's wonderful. Why would you not want to be in that situation? Why would you want to live any other way other than in that situation. Why would you want to look at church. As being something where you. Uh, uh, this, is, this is my ministry. I don't want anybody else bothering my ministry. Or this, is, this is what I do. This is, why, why, why wouldn't you come with a spirit in your heart. That says man I want, I want to take somebody. And I want to take them under my wing. Some younger Christian. And I, I want to teach them what I do teach them how to teach Sunday school or, or teach them how to sing or teach them how to dance or whatever it is, then I want to know that God's glory is going to exist for the next 150 years. Let's get the right attitude about what we're doing. And this morning if you're here and you aren't uh, you, you're like I used to be and you're trying to make your own way and you're trying to live your own way and you're trying to do your own thing Let me tell you, you don't have to. You can live a life where you're connected with Jesus Christ and you can know the direction you're going for the rest of your life. And goodness and mercy will follow you for the rest of your life. And you will know at the end of this life you dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't care about your church membership, your baptism record, your confirmation record, any of that. I don't care about anything that this morning i want you to lay all those things aside and i want you to ask yourself this one question have i repented of my sins and is jesus christ my lord and savior and am i going to heaven at the end of this life have i put my trust in faith in church membership or baptism or something else like that or have i fully trusted the lord jesus christ as my lord and savior And God is speaking to some of you this morning, and your pride will cause you to step there and not give your life to Christ. And I want to tell you, it's an awful thing to do. Because at the end of this life, not everybody gets Psalm 23 at the end. Not everybody gets that to go to heaven. We live in a society now where when somebody, we we live in a society where we've painted... The world has painted this wonderful picture that everybody who dies is going to heaven. That's not the case. That's not what what the Bible says. The Bible says that someday there will be a great white throne judgment and people will stand there and they will beg and plead and say, but I prophesied in your name, I cast out demons, I did all these things. And Jesus will look at those people and say, depart from me, I never knew you. What will it be this morning? Will you follow Jesus and know mercy and goodness all your life and a home in heaven? Darren, would you come? Let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray for those who are sitting under the sound of my voice. I know this morning that your Holy Spirit is speaking and moving and opening hearts and eyes the spiritual condition of people here this morning I know without a shadow of a doubt that you are letting that you are letting people understand and know this morning that they need Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that they need to ask for forgiveness of their sins, they need to repent of those sins and they need to follow you for the rest of their life Father I pray that through what you are doing this morning that people will be obedient That they will surrender, that those who are so, this morning, right now, who are so in a hurry to leave because they don't want to go through what the Holy Spirit is speaking to their heart right now, I pray they'd surrender. Father, in obedience to you this morning, I pray that those who need to do business with you will do it. This morning with with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed I want to ask you a question. As you've searched your heart this morning and you've asked have I repented of my sins? Have I asked for forgiveness of those sins? And do I know for sure that I have a home in heaven? Only you know the answer to that. I don't. You and God do. And I pray this morning that if you know and understand that, and you, you, can, you can say without a doubt, I, I, don't, I, I can't remember, I don't know that that's my situation. I want to give you this opportunity this morning. I want you to pray with me. I normally never do this, but I want you to pray with me, and I want you to say to God, Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin is great and I know that Jesus paid the penalty for my sin on a cross. Father, I want to ask for forgiveness of my sins and I want to turn from those sins and I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I want to know that your promise that you would never leave me nor forsake me would bring true in my heart and in my soul today with absolutely no one but me with the eyes open. If you prayed that prayer this morning, would you let me know? Just let me see your hand for just a second and let me know so that I can follow up with you sometime later. As we stand this morning, Father, this is a time of invitation. It's a time of praise. It's a time of worship. Father, I pray this morning that you would be merciful to us, that you would give us grace. Father, whatever we may need to pray about, whatever we decision we need to make, maybe we need to follow in baptism or church membership, whatever it is we need to do, Father, may we be obedient and give our complete selves to you. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As Darren leads us.